This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Good morning, I'm Larissa Moore. And I'm Eliza Harvey. It's Thursday the 17th of March. In your Squiz today, President Zelensky addresses the US Congress, a big earthquake in Japan, the trouble with foxes and cats, and labs are still number one. This is your Squiz today. The President of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, has made an historic address to US Congress, pleading for more help in the war against Russia. It comes on top of similar appearances he's made before the British House of Commons and the Canadian Parliament. He's asked for the US's help in enforcing a no-fly zone, but there's still reluctance from Biden and other NATO allies to engage Russia in a full-scale war. There is, however, support for doing more for Ukraine. Yeah, a lot of support and a lot of love in the room from American lawmakers who watched in an auditorium that powerful address from Vladimir Zelensky. President Joe Biden watched from the private residence of the White House. Now, Zelensky summoned the memories of Pearl Harbor and the 9-11 attacks to plead for more help. He said the pain and suffering of those two major historical events are a bit of a taste of what Ukraine is going through right now. Uh, He actually addressed Biden directly. He said, you are the leader of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means being the leader of peace. It was one of his collection of great lines. Biden later addressed the media following the speech. He committed another $800 million for more anti-aircraft weapons and drones. That's brought the total amount to $1 billion that the US has committed in the last week alone. Uh, Now President Biden will fly to NATO headquarters in Brussels next week to speak to his European counterparts. Yeah, there's lots of international diplomacy still at play. We might be on the other side of the world, but Australia is standing with its Western allies in support of Ukraine too. Yeah, that's right. And yesterday, Defence Minister Peter Dutton really took things up a notch by labelling Putin a paranoid and utterly ruthless dictator who might be destroyed by the war. Prime Minister Scott Morrison had another go at China. He said that China actually relieved sanctions on wheat, for example, uh, for Russia. And that sends a terrible message. Obviously, China and Russia recently in February signed a big strategic alliance. And that is why some of the commentary from the Australian leaders are directed at China. Back to Zelensky for a moment. It's a name we all know now as he's galvanising the world in support of Ukraine. We've taken a look at his life for this week's Shortcut Eliza. He had an unusual journey into politics. He really did, Larissa. He was trained as a lawyer, but he was more interested in comedy and acting in the early days. And I've got to say, there's some pretty bawdy humour. There's <laughs> political satire that was just emerging in the years after the fall of the Soviet Union in Ukraine. Uh, it was his celebrity, though, and his acting in sitcoms that catapulted him into politics. There, he brushed up with Donald Trump, if you remember the incident behind the first impeachment in the US. And now Zelensky's transformation into wartime leader, at the bravery of staying put in Kiev and advocating for Ukrainians as the Russians mount their relentless and brutal campaign from the sky. And he's only 44 years old. It's a pretty astounding life so far. It's definitely a shortcut worth checking out. I'll pop links to it in your episode notes, but you can also find it by searching Squiz Shortcuts in your podcasting app. 
Over to Japan now, a magnitude 7.3 earthquake has hit the northeast area of the country. They're on standby for tsunami waves of around one metre in that area. It's the same area, Eliza, that was hit by a quake 11 years ago that triggered the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Yeah, there's some pretty scary vision on the news websites this morning from when that quake hit about 11.30 Japan time. Buildings were really rattling around uh, and there are reports that in the northeast, as you mentioned, where it hit, the shakes were so strong that you couldn't actually stand up. Uh, There's been no immediate reports of damage or injuries, but local providers say that about 700,000 homes in Tokyo and about 156,000 homes in the northeast region have been left without power. Uh, Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida says the government is still trying to assess the extent of the damage. As you mentioned, that tsunami warning has been issued. But look, it's nothing of the scale or destruction of 11 years ago, and let's hope it stays that way. Yeah, 18,000 people were killed back in 2011 with that earthquake off the coast of Fukushima. Authorities are now bracing for aftershocks in Fukushima, Miyaga and the Yamagata prefectures. We talk a bit about interest rates and inflation here on the podcast, two things people watch closely with their hip pocket in mind. Jumping over to the US, they've announced overnight that interest rates will rise. They've got a big situation with inflation right now, Eliza. They really do, Larissa. It's running at a 40-year high of 7.9%. Now, we're talking a lot about the increasing cost of living here amidst the um, upcoming election. Our inflation rate is 3.5%. So it's, you know, mm. just gives you an insight into what's actually happening on the ground in the US. The Federal Reserve raised rates by a quarter of 1%. Now, that's interesting because the rates have been around zero since March 2020. It's a big juggling act for the Federal Reserve. They want to apply the economic brakes for a bit because of that inflation, but they don't want to strangle the post-COVID economic recovery, which could happen if interest rates go too high because people wouldn't borrow or spend and invest their money. So it's a big challenge, not just for the US, but back here in Australia. At the moment, our Reserve Bank is continuing to resist calls to raise rates. It's an interesting one to keep an eye on in the US, one of the biggest economies in the world. And as you say, similar challenges happening here in Australia. Back home and a new study has found that foxes and feral cats are wiping out Australian wildlife in record numbers. They kill 2.6 billion mammals, birds and reptiles each year. Big, big numbers, Eliza. Huge numbers. I was really shocked by them. And researchers say it's even putting some native species at risk of extinction. So they mapped it out. They found that there were 1.7 million foxes across about 80% of the country, uh, 2.8 million feral cats covering almost all of Australia. Uh, They really thrive in the desert. They require less water and they can survive on the blood of their prey. I know. (laughs) So perhaps it's not a giant leap to see why researchers are really calling for some stronger measures to reduce these numbers. There is no silver bullet when it comes to reducing numbers, but baiting as well as better management of domestic cats and managing the introduced species that they like to eat are all important in bringing those numbers down. So if you can keep your little moggy inside overnight, all of that helps. 
from feral cats to beloved dogs. While all dog owners likely think that their dog is the best, there is some hard data behind the most popular breeds. For the 31st year, Labradors have taken out the top spot in the US, but there's another breed that's making a comeback, Eliza. Yeah, it's the Poodle. I mean, that's not a surprise to anybody who uh, lives in Australia because <laughs> there's so many sort of poodle offshoots, aren't there? You know, yes, the Labradoodle, the yes, Scroodle, the Cavoodle. Uh, they're back on the list, though, the poodle, the first time since 1997. Uh, but it's still the Labrador. I mean, can you go past the Labrador? They're great with kids. They've got a great temperament. They're very versatile. Uh, this list, though, is put together from the American Kennel Club, as you mentioned, and they do that off the back of registration data and they also do lots of checks in America. So uh, it's an interesting insight, I think, you know, into what's happened through the pandemic because it's the first time that there's been more families with dogs than children. Oh, there you go. Interesting stat right there. (laughs) I also thought one for Claire. She, of course, has a French bulldog called Tucker. French bulldogs took out the number two spot for America's favourite dog breed. Squiz the day, Eliza. What are you keeping an eye on today? Well, it's St. Patrick's Day and I've got a lot of yeah. Irish blood in my ancestry. Um, I'm just wondering if you actually, you know, work before dawn, what time are you allowed to have a, a cleansing ale on St. Patty's Day? <laughs> <laughs> I'll put oh, that out to the listeners. <laughs> yeah, not sure that Guinness is a, is a breakfast beverage, but uh, you do you. I've gone with the random fact today. It's the anniversary of the patenting of the rubber band and self-raising flower, though. Those inventions came about all the way back in 1845. Some very practical additions to everyday life. We might leave it there for the day. Have a good Thursday. We will be back with you tomorrow. A message now from our podcast partner, BHP. The steel made from iron ore plays an important role in providing the production of our energy infrastructure, from wind turbines to power poles. So cutting carbon emissions in iron ore production is key. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power its port facilities at Port Headland. It's happening now at BHP.